Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Equal treatment under the law, regardless of race. One would think that all could agree on that principle. But in states and localities across the country, even in Republican-controlled states, that principle is giving way to programs that restrict eligibility based on skin color. Joining my colleague Sarah Lee and I to discuss these programs and how to challenge them legally is Glenn Roper, an attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation. Uh, Glenn, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you do for Pacific Legal Foundation? Sure. And and thank you, Michael and Sarah. It's great to be with uh, both of you today. Uh, I'm an attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation, where we focus on what I would call strategic constitutional litigation. We're a public interest law firm. We represent individuals and uh, associations and small businesses that uh, are fighting back against government overreach or uh, unlawful restrictions and and protecting their constitutional rights. So I've been doing that uh, for a few years. Before that, I've worked in state government, federal government, and in private practice. Uh, I will say this is perhaps the most fun job I've had uh, in the law, and and it's one where I I personally agree with all the cases I work on, which is not something you can always say as an attorney. So tell us about... uh these mortgage assistance programs that you wrote about for the Hill in Oklahoma and Georgia. What's going on? Yeah, well, this started uh, in 2021. Congress passed the American Rescue Plan Act. Uh, It was a a $1.9 trillion package, included a whole bunch of things that probably no one person even knew what all the the, uh, different portions of this, this Frankenstein's monster were. Um, But as we've parsed through it, we found a few different provisions uh, that are concerning, and and this is one that in particular I've identified, where Congress set aside $10 billion that's intended to help homeowners who are struggling because of the pandemic. Uh, That was was the purpose, uh, you know, trying to keep people in homes. There's some societal benefits from from not having people... uh, uh, you know, a massive wave of, of uh, mortgage foreclosures. And so this was intended to provide some funds to help people be able to stay in their homes. That's all well and good. The problem that uh, we, we saw with it is, as I'm sure we'll get into in a little more detail, the, the uh, racially discriminatory way in which some states are implementing the, uh, the homeowner assistance fund. Uh, Sarah, Sarah, do you have any, do you have anything to add? Well, actually, yeah, I was actually interested in, uh, I read your op-ed in the Hill. It's very good. Um, for anybody listening, the name of that op-ed, which you should read is, are Georgia and Oklahoma racially discriminating in a homeowner's COVID relief program? We'll, we'll we'll include that in today's show. Yeah. So, so, uh, I read the op-ed and I did do, I looked up a little bit of how the HAF, the homeowner's assistant assistance fund was being used in other states. Um, And like, for example, in Louisiana, um, out of uh, the governor's office, there was a missive that said, you know, they've got 10 billion uh, to provide to homeowners. And here are their eligibility requirements. Own and occupy a home in Louisiana, meet income qualifications, 30 days delinquent on mortgage payments, experience the financial hardship associated with COVID. Nowhere <laughs> in there does it say that, uh, I think what you said in your, in your op-ed was that um, there was a, a 
rather unclarified des- designation that Congress failed to define that states like Oklahoma and Georgia have determined means minority, right? Yeah. And, no, and it's just interesting to me that Louisiana is very clear on the, the governor's uh, website what the qualifications are. And I'm curious why Georgia and Oklahoma, how these are administered. How, did, how are they getting away with doing this? Yeah, it, thanks, Sarah. And it all comes down to, and I should say, every state has one of these programs. Every state applied for and was given money to implement these programs, but they're doing it in, in you know, it's, it's going to vary state to state exactly what the program looks like. Um, it, it all comes down to this term that Congress said, uh, used in the statute, saying that some portion of the funds have to be used to prioritize socially disadvantaged individuals. Congress just used that term, just threw it out there, didn't define it, and then and then stepped away. So uh, the bureaucrats at the Treasury Department issued some guidance, and they initially came forward and said socially disadvantaged just means race. Uh, you know, if you're a racial minority, you're automatically socially disadvantaged. Whether you're LeBron James, Barack Obama, you know, uh, any sort of racial minority, you get this tag of socially disadvantaged. It's always so interesting to me, these things. They're just incredibly demeaning, aren't they? Uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly what it does to you to be told by by the government that you are socially disadvantaged, but uh, it, it can't be helpful, and it certainly mm-hmm. doesn't uh, fill you, I think, with a desire to go out and succeed and, and uh, you know, overcome obstacles that everyone faces. Mm-hmm. Um, but Congress used that term, the Treasury Department, uh, interpreted as race. They then backed off a little bit. But in the meantime, states were starting to implement their own programs. And, and some states, including most notably Georgia and Oklahoma, and, and I should say there may be other states doing this as well. Those are just two that I've identified where it seems to be most obvious. And they implemented, they took that treasury definition and they stuck it into their regulations and they, and they said that's going to be part of our process as well. And the way it comes into play um, has to do with the income limitations. You mentioned that in Louisiana's statute, and every state has this. You know, this, these aren't programs intended for the, the multimillionaire uh, income earners, the high wage earners. But the way that Georgia and Oklahoma have done it is saying if your income is below the median for your county, essentially if you have below average income, Everyone can participate as long as you meet the other requirements. You know, you have harm from COVID and and whatnot. If you're above that average, you can only participate if you qualify as socially disadvantaged. And then they say socially disadvantaged means race. So so what that means, let's let's talk concrete numbers. If you have an income of about, let's say, a hundred thousand dollars, you know, not it's it's not you're not you know, you're maybe middle class at that point, right? You're not a super high age, high wage earner, but you're also not uh, in poverty by any means. You can only participate in this program, regardless of any other circumstances, if you qualify as socially disadvantaged. So if you're, if you're black, Hispanic, uh, American, uh, Native American, any, if you check any of these boxes, other than white or Caucasian, you're allowed to participate in the program in that, at that income range, but not if you're if you're a white homeowner. So just to play devil's advocate for a moment, you know, a supporter of this sort of policy, 
I would imagine would would argue along these lines that you know black and other ethnic minority Americans have faced generations of discrimination under the law. This is well documented history, uh, especially in states like you know Georgia, which obviously was a uh, was a state with Jim Crow laws, and you know Oklahoma, you had the Tulsa race massacre in the twenties. Uh, you know, and I'm I'm sure there were also other discriminatory actions uh, in that state. I'm just not familiar with it. Um, you know, isn't this pro- isn't this program and similar programs? Aren't they just an attempt to make right a small part of those grievous historical wrongs? You know, the Supreme Court has said that the government can use race in certain circumstances. Uh, the most the most obvious of those is when the government itself has discriminated it can use race to make up for its own discrimination. But it's got to do so in very narrow circumstances. It's got to be carefully controlled. There's got to be a strong, a strong basis and evidence for what it's doing. Uh, and, and if that were what this program was, I would have no problem with it. Uh, you know, if, if the government identified concrete instances of discrimination and it was showing that this program would help to rectify government's own discrimination. That's important. We expect the government to do that when it discriminates to, to uh, make up for it. Unfortunately, this is just a blanket, broad brush looking at nothing more than what is your skin color? What, what race or ethnicity do you identify as? Uh, there's no individual consideration of how somebody is affected. And, and if you've got a, a white homeowner who's struggling from COVID, not able to pay their mortgage, a black or Hispanic homeowner struggling from COVID, not able to pay their mortgage, why should we treat those differently just because of the skin color of the individual who owns the home? Uh, there, there's nothing about this that says the government has caused some harm that it needs to make up for. It's just saying we look at skin color and, and ignore the individual circumstances of the homeowner. I, I think it's it's flagrantly unconstitutional, in addition to bad policy that's that's divisive and doesn't help those who are most in need. Now, you mentioned the existing legal precedent uh, on the government's ability to use racial considerations. Uh, how might that change? Obviously, there's this case before the Supreme Court now challenging the university admission systems. Uh, could, is it possible that that case could affect these sorts of programs? I don't think that'll affect these directly. Uh, that case is is dealing with, you know, I mentioned one way in which the government can use race is to make up for its own past discrimination. That case is addresses uh, a, another um, instance in which the, the Supreme Court has in the past said that government may use race, and that is to promote diversity in the higher education sphere. Uh, the, the cases challenging, you know, Harvard and, and North Carolina's use of race that are pending before the Supreme Court now are really testing that uh, that um, theory, uh, you know, and identifying is that really something that we want is for schools to be to be using race to promote this kind of uh, esoteric, uh, you know, educational experience, diversity in education. Maybe the Supreme Court will will decide we're going to keep that. Maybe it will jettison it for something else. Regardless, that's not really going to affect uh, the, the specific circumstances here. We're not talking about trying to achieve some sort of diverse educational experience. This has to do with who can receive a direct government benefit that's intended to keep people in their homes. 
Yeah, I'm actually wondering if, <clears throat> so I know that back in, let me see if I can find it here. Um, back in, I want to say October of last year. Uh, yeah, October. Um, House Budget Committee Leader Jason Smith of Missouri and House Ways and Means Committee Republican Leader Kevin Brady of Texas sent a letter to Treasury, um, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, talking about the abuse of not specifically the Homeowners Assistance Fund, but just the abuse and waste in the American Rescue Plan. And I'm wondering if this could be added to, because they're actually now investigating and asking for answers about, you know, accounting for some of this waste. And some of what they're talking about is, you know, in Florida, they spent $140 million on a luxury hotel, that kind of thing. But I'm wondering if this this kind of blatant unconstitutional sort of provision uh, could be added to that. I, I know that that's Yellen is in the federal space. These are states administering this. But is that something that we could raise awareness for uh, to legislators? I think absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've, I've singled uh, Georgia and Oklahoma, but in a way they're only partially to blame because really it's the system that uh, Congress set up and then you have Treasury that provided this guidance that from the outset said, no, what you should be looking at here is race. Uh, and, and I think, uh, uh, you know, I'd love to do whatever we can to call attention <laughs> to this and, and, and get it get it cleared up. You know, I've been uh, trying to identify uh, a, a plaintiff who'd be willing to, to come and, and bring a lawsuit against these states and the federal government challenging it. And, and you know, I, I submitted public records requests to Georgia. I got back a list of individuals who I can see were denied to participate in this program because they didn't qualify as socially disadvantaged. Now they redacted their names and, and any way that I could reach out to and contact them. So I can't find these people, but I can see in the documents that it's happening. Uh, this isn't just a you know a theoretical thing where I'm looking at their rules and and saying oh this could happen. It is legitimately happening. There are people uh, who who sought relief in Georgia, filed applications and were denied because their income levels were in that range where you can only participate if you qualify as socially disadvantaged. If they identified as a different race instead of white homeowners, they would have been able to participate in the program. How, so do you know how these are being uh, how these are being um, sort of I noticed in your op-ed you said it's county by county like the upper limit uh, could change county by county so are these administered via counties um, is it different can different counties decide that socially disadvantaged doesn't mean race um, I'm curious about that uh, unfortunately no it is a it is a state-run program uh, the county by county, uh, that's just where they determine the upper income limit. Because obviously, if you live in, you know, suburban Atlanta, your median income levels are going to be a little different than if you're in, in you know, rural Macon. Um, so uh, that that level is going to change a little bit depending on, on uh, what county you live in. But it's the state and, and state bureaucrats who are implementing the program. Okay. So... You know, we've been discussing uh, this homeowner assistance program. Uh, I was wondering, I don't know if you have, uh, if you guys have done, you know, looked into this. You know, there's been a lot of discussion about critical race theory and these sort of, the sort of increasing, at least it seems like it's increasing uh, uh, 
use of racial considerations in policymaking. Have you guys noticed an increase in the prevalence of programs that have these these racial considerations? Absolutely. And I would say it comes from the top. You know, on day one uh, in office, President Biden enacted an executive order requiring uh, agencies in the federal government to look at things through this lens of race. Uh, and, and so in a way, it's not surprising that the, the bills that were passed shortly thereafter, uh, even these bills that are intended for COVID relief, which you would think if there's anything that should be, you know, where we shouldn't be dividing people up on, on, on racial lines, it's something like responding to an international pandemic. But, but we've seen a, a lot of things coming through, uh, coming out of the administration and then, and then uh, the, the last Congress that have these uh, racial lines. And I'll mention one, if I may, one where, where we successfully challenged it. Uh, the American Rescue Plan also included this provision saying, we're going to forgive loans, federal loans given to farmers. Uh, you know, they've struggled because of the pandemic like, like anyone else. It's important that they continue providing, uh, you know, the benefits that they provide to, to society, we're going to forgive their farm loans to enable them to, to uh, discharge those and continue their work. But here's the kicker. It only applies to socially disadvantaged farmers. And no surprise, it was interpreted the exact same way. If, if you were a white, far, uh, white farmer in Illinois, like several of our clients were, you got nothing under the program. Whereas if you were a, a black farmer in those exact same circumstances, uh, uh, you, you could get your farm loans entirely wiped out. It didn't, they, they weren't looking at the size of your farm. They weren't looking at, did you personally suffer discrimination uh, from, from USDA, which there, is, there has been a history of, of the Department of Agriculture discriminating against black and Hispanic farmers. They didn't look at that. They just said, what is your skin color? If you check these boxes, you get your farm loans wiped off. If you're a white farmer, you get nothing. We were able to, to get a nationwide uh, injunction against that policy, uh, and ultimately Congress repealed it. They, they uh, realized that uh, you know, they weren't going to get anywhere uh, implementing this program. It was on hold nationwide, and finally they just, they just took it off the books. But that's just an example of, of uh, these kinds of things that are being slipped into legislation, again, that most people don't know about or most people don't realize. But uh, I would say over the last few years, there's been a definite uptick in these kinds of programs. And, and you know, this reference, this uh, socially disadvantaged tag is often what's being used to, uh, to identify who gets the benefits from these programs. And what do you think this does to civil society? I mean, you mentioned at the top, you know, this is divisive. I would agree. I tend to agree with that. What, what we're talking about here, in effect, is a perk. For, for a skin color, right? Uh, you get a perk where uh, another skin color doesn't, right? It's made available to you where it's not to someone else. What does that do to society? Well, you know, none of us get to choose our race. Uh, that's one of these immutable characteristics that uh, it, it's just, you know, you're, you're born into it and there's nothing you can do to affect it. Um, I think it's terrible for the government to come in and then say, based on this immutable characteristic, uh, that nobody asked for and you can't do anything about, we're going to put you in one of these buckets, either the, the favored bucket or the disfavored bucket. Uh, and I think everybody should realize that this country has a terrible history of that kind of, of division, that kind of labeling people. It's never good uh, when, when 
the, the government is dividing people up, let alone when, when that's a problem in, in society. But the government, we should expect, should approach people as individuals. Uh, it, it's bad for the people who get the benefit. It's bad for the people who don't get the benefit and, and may resent not getting the benefit. And, and whether it's black or white or Hispanic or Asian, as in, as in some of the school cases where uh, Asian students are being discriminated against, uh, it, it, I think it's terrible for, for society and uh, feeds into the possibility of, of people viewing themselves as victims of society uh, rather than you know, grabbing onto the American dream and uh, making what they can of, of their circumstances. Well, Glenn, uh, before we let you go, anything else uh, that you'd like to let our listeners know either about these policies or your work or anything else PLF is doing? Uh, you know, this has been an exciting year for, for PLF. This is our 50th anniversary year, and we're celebrating with three cases before the United States Supreme Court. Uh, we had the very first uh, case that was argued back in November, and the court just announced we're going to have the very last case that is argued the last day of the term. So uh, this is, PLF is really bookending the Supreme Court term. Uh, we've had a lot of success before the Supreme Court with 14 victories over the years. Uh, and, and this is what we do. We, we take on the government when it's uh, interfering with people's consti constitutional rights, uh, and we win when we do it. I, I'm hopeful that we'll see some victories in those Supreme Court cases. I'm hopeful also that we can see some change with these programs in Georgia and Oklahoma. Uh, if there's a white homeowner with income in this kind of 90 to $140,000 range of household income, uh, struggling from COVID, struggling to pay mortgages or household expenses, uh, and uh, would like to stand up and challenge this, I would love to bring that case. I think, I think we'd have a very good chance of, of winning and getting this uh, discriminatory policy struck down. All right. Well, thanks again to Glenn Roper of the Pacific Legal Foundation for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.